0: This morning, we were introduced to a prophet who could by no means understand what was going on around him. He cried out to the Lord wanting to know how long that he would have to keep crying out to the Lord before God would finally decide to do something. He cries out to God, Why is there injustice? Why is there perversion? Why is there destruction? And why, God, are you doing nothing about it? Habakkuk is confused. He's perplexed at God because of the, the moral condition of the nation that he lives in and wondering why God doesn't intervene. Tonight, in verses 5-11, through 11, we get to witness how God responds to Habakkuk's petition. If you turn over there to chapter 1 of Habakkuk, again, starting in verse 5, here's what we find. Look among the nations and see, wander and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar and they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for vengeance, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and they take it. And then they sweep by like the wind, and they go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Implicit in God's response here to the prophet Habakkuk is the fact that God has seen what Habakkuk has seen. He knows exactly what is going on. The prophet Habakkuk implied that because God was not acting, well then God, he must not have seen the injustice and the wickedness. He must not have seen the same thing that Habakkuk was seeing. The reality is though that Habakkuk didn't tell God anything that God didn't already know. You see, we talked this morning about how prayer during our struggles and during our trials is is our most powerful tool. But prayer is not our tool to wake up God so that He'll finally see what's happening around us. It's not that God is asleep. It's not that God's not paying attention. It's not that God doesn't know what's going on. God is fully aware of everything that is happening in the world. And so if you think that you're sick of seeing the evil, of seeing the injustice, of seeing the immorality and the destruction in the world around you, what do you think our holy God feels concerning these things? Our Lord sees these problems and he understands them far better than we could ever hope to. It was David who declared in the Psalms that from the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. From His dwelling place He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. So it's not like God doesn't know what is happening in this world, especially with His people. And that's right. Just as David said, just as I just implied... God knows what is happening with you. God sees your suffering. He knows what you're going through and what you're experiencing right now. But do we really think that the God who sent His own Son for us, who revealed just how deep His love is for us by sending His Son to the cross, has now decided to just abandon you. To look the other way, to leave you alone in your pain and your misery—that he doesn't know what is happening to you. You know, there's this show that's still pretty popular. I, I like watching it, uh, reruns of it and stuff on YouTube sometimes. And the name of the show is Shark Tank. And these people come to these these sharks, these business tycoons with ideas for new products and new businesses and new services, and they pitch them to these high-profile investors. These people come to these investors, and they're asking for for money, essentially. They're asking for them to put some financial support behind whatever their project is in order to grow their business. And in the business world, once, once an investor invests and they give you some money and some support, They don't want to see that investment go to waste. And they're going to continue, within reason, to help support and protect your business. The point is, oftentimes, these investments are not simply a one-time investment. Once they've given you $100,000 or more, whatever the price may be, that investor doesn't want that money to go to waste. They don't want to see the investment that they just made crash and burn. And so they're going to give you whatever you need within reason to help you succeed. We see this same truth when it comes to God. God has made an enormous investment in our lives. One that defies logic and reason by human standards. By sacrificing His own Son by one member of the Godhead coming to us in the flesh and giving his life on the cross for our sake. so we do, do we really think that God, after making such a massive investment in our lives is going to turn away from us and watch us crash and burn? Of course not. God is heavily invested in each and every one of us and he is going to see us through to the end of this life the writer of hebrews shows us the confident ground on, on which every christian should stand when they say keep your life free from keep your life free from love of money be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear, for what can man do to me? The cross is what proves to us that our Lord continues to watch over us, continues to protect his investment, and that he knows what's happening to us. He's the one in control. He knows you, and he's working in your favor. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into God's response to Habakkuk here. The Lord begins essentially by telling Habakkuk, "Okay, you're going to see something that you wouldn't believe if even if I told you." There's four words used to proclaim the amazement of what God is about to do. Look, see, wonder, and astounded. Those words imply that God is about to do something big. God is about to do something truly amazing that again defies all human logic and reason. And He is going to bring about that justice that Habakkuk is crying out for so desperately. And So it's interesting then to notice that God essentially is agreeing with Habakkuk. There is injustice. Yes, you're right, Habakkuk. There is violence. There is immorality, destruction, wickedness. All of these things are true. God does not dispute any of the charges that Habakkuk brings forth. God doesn't have a different code of justice than His prophet in this case. God doesn't tell Habakkuk, you're just seeing things. It's okay. You're just, you're just crazy. God agrees with Habakkuk. Now what they do disagree on is the timing of things. And so what we learn from God's response is that God's time frame is not our time frame. And that sounds like a cliche, but I want you to understand the, the truth of this. God does not act solely based on how and when we think He should act. Habakkuk has been looking around, and he's been living in this situation for years. He's seen all, he's seen all sorts of, of atrocious behavior from what is supposed to be God's people. God seems to tell Habakkuk, you're right, but now's not the time. It's coming. Oh, trust me. Justice is coming. But not right now. Not this very second. God is working in the days of Habakkuk, even though Habakkuk cannot see it. And so often that becomes our problem as well. Our limited vision and knowledge into what God is doing. God is acting, even even if we don't know it, even if we don't see it. God is aware of what is happening, and He responds in His own ways and in His own time. He doesn't act on our schedule. He doesn't act when we think He should act. And so to deal with our times of, of perplexity and confusion, when it seems like God isn't doing anything, we have to remember that that God is acting in ways that we may not be able to see and acting on a time frame that is not ours. There's a hymn called In His Time. And we don't sing it often in our churches around here. But the first and the second verses declare you make things beautiful in your time. And that very closely reflects the sentiment found in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God makes all things beautiful in their time. We have to imprint those words in our hearts. We act like we want the words to say in our time. We want God to make things beautiful based on our schedule, and when we want them to be beautiful. But that's not how God operates He moves in ways that we cannot see on a schedule that we do not know. And while Habakkuk charges God with idleness, God responds that He is not idle, but rather He is in the process and He is working towards sending this judgment. And so we are to worship and praise the Lord as He works in His time. Now, what God actually does end up telling Habakkuk is going to happen should come as a pretty big shock. And I'm sure it did to the prophet when he first heard this. He said that God is going to use the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, a fierce, powerful, wicked nation, and He's going to use them to execute wrath and judgment against the people of God. And God even very clearly points out the sinfulness of this nation. Particularly in verse 11. He says, Their might is their own God. These Babylonians serve themselves and they have no regard for God. But yet, as it stands, God is going to use them Use this wicked nation as an instrument of judgment. It just goes to show you that God does not always answer prayer in the way that we think He should answer prayer. Sometimes, what happens is it's, it's very similar to how parents deal with their children, especially when there's multiple children. <clears throat> a child asks a, a parent to to intervene in a situation but they don't like the way that the parent intervenes. Growing up, my dad would often settle disputes between me and and my little brothers by saying that, okay, nobody gets to play the PlayStation, and everybody can go to their rooms and shut the door. That's not what any of us had in mind when we asked dad to settle the argument. Each of us, we wanted Dad to give us the PlayStation and tell everybody else to just go away and be quiet and get over it. And when we pray to God, we better be ready for for Him to act in ways that we do not expect. Sometimes in a way that you may not like very much. Not at first anyway. And what's really shocking here, again, is that God is going to use seemingly a, quote, more wicked nation than the wicked people of God. God has chosen not to use a godly nation that follows His commands and keeps His teachings to show His people the right way to do things, but instead He's going to use an even more wicked nation that has no regard for God to exact justice. That kind of puts a wrench in a lot of people's worldviews when they read this account. Or when they understand what happened to the Jewish nation under Babylonian rule. God is not supporting a more righteous nation against a more wicked nation. That's not what's happening here. He's not justifying the Babylonians. God can use any nation that that we would classify as wicked to judge a nation that we would classify as less wicked or as righteous. We always want to assume that the United States is the morally superior, the more righteous country in the world, and that we're better than other wicked nations. But even if our assessment is correct, even if the United States of America, as great of a nation as it is, even if we do believe that we are more righteous, that doesn't prevent God, or it wouldn't prevent God from judging us before judging the other nations. God is the one who is just, and He decides how to judge and who to judge, every person and every nation. As we close out, I want us to turn together to Acts chapter 13. The implications of what we're about to read or what we have read in the, the book of Habakkuk. The ideas in Habakkuk seem to weigh pretty heavily on the Qumran community which is the reason the region of, of Jerusalem on the banks of the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually found. The Dead Sea Scrolls reveal the Qumran people's commentary on the teachings of Habakkuk and some of the things that they derived from this minor prophet. How much of, of their thinking and their theology was part of the Actual Jewish consensus isn't really known, but it's interesting to see what some, of the some at least, of the Jews between 100 B.C. and 100 A.D. thought about Habakkuk's words. The Quran community interpreted the Chaldeans as, instead of being representative of Babylon, being a representation of the Kittim or the Romans in their day. The description of this wicked, terrifying nation, it also very easily fit the power that they experienced under the Roman Empire. Now, the reason I kind of explained that, and the reason I think this is interesting, is because it it almost seems like the Apostle Paul might have been aware of this line of thinking with these Qumran people when he quotes Habakkuk to the Jews in Antioch which he does here close to the end of of the the first paragraph, uh, not the first paragraph, at the end of Acts chapter 13. But I want us to notice what Paul is preaching here. Starting in verse 26, we see Paul talking about the arrest, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on to explain that Jesus is the fulfillment of the good news, that he is the one that brings salvation from God to the world that was originally promised to Abraham. And it's through Jesus that forgiveness of sin is offered, and that all who believe in Jesus are set free from the curse of the law. And so now Paul uses Habakkuk to conclude his point. He says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if someone tells it to you. And Paul's point reaches back to the same point that Habakkuk reaches back to. Habakkuk was told that God is going to judge the Jewish nation. He's going to to destroy their cities and he's going to, to carry them off. Because of the sins of the people. They were full of violence and oppression and wickedness and destruction. And so God is going to send these people, this wicked nation, these Babylonians, these Chaldeans to judge the people. And so the the Qumran consensus took that name, the Chaldeans, as referring to the Roman Empire. And so Paul's warning matches God's warning to Habakkuk. The first century Jewish nation is full of the same wickedness that it was full of when Habakkuk was talking to God. And he's warning them that God is going to come and God is going to wipe out everyone who does not believe in the name of Jesus and who is not forgiven of the wickedness of sin that is offered through Christ. God's message is clear throughout all of Scripture that justice and judgment will come by His hand. God will act. God will vindicate the righteous and He will deal with the wicked. But the people of God must be patient. He sees the affairs of the world, He knows what's going on, and He's going to respond. God is in action even when we cannot see His hand at work directly. And tonight, maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe you don't understand any of this. Maybe you've not seen God in action in your life. But you have the opportunity to right now to see it firsthand. You have the opportunity to fully obey the Lord. To put on Christ. And to receive that gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin that is offered through obedience to Him in the waters of baptism. And to see God in action as He removes the sins from your life and adds you to His church, the one that His son died for. If you are a Christian tonight, maybe you too have failed to see God working in your life. You can also respond, you can commit to refocusing your eyes and your heart so that you can better see and remember all that the Lord has done for you. Whatever your need is tonight, the Lord's invitation is open for all as we stand and sing together.